Hey, hey, welcome to the podcast where we take a quick swig of medicine from the limitless depths of pop fiction, literary fiction, visual art, music, movies, poetry, any artistic creation, and we feel all the better for it. My name is Nate Hammond. You are listening to Tonic Pop. Welcome to Tonic Pop. My name is Nate Hammond. Am I coming through all right, Maria? Yes. And today we are... Say that again. Right. Then you put ever coming through, Maria. No, that's okay. This is a podcast. It's, it's a podcast. Get to be loose and you can sort of ham it up a little bit and play around. It's, there's there's no rules when it comes to podcasts. That's the beauty of it. There's no strict timing. Just say or, it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> say it again. Welcome. I'm not going to edit any of this. Out. I'm not editing any of this out. Welcome to Tonic Pop. My name is Nate Hammond, and um, I've already probably edited in a, an intro, so there's no need to go over it again. But I'm doing it anyway. Anyway, um, as we welcome to the home studio, Ged Mayberry. That is his real name, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> hello, hello. Burry, Mayberry. Burry. Because I'm not a fruit name. Oh, sorry, I keep saying berry. I'm thinking <laughs> I bury the hatchet because it's spelled. Okay, so M-A-Y-B-U-R-Y. So if you say berry as in berry a body that way. Oh, yeah. yeah. People do say bury a body. Yeah. And they also say eat a berry. Yeah. It's very confusing, isn't it? It's <laughs> damn crazy language. You don't want to get those two confused up. You don't no. want to bury the berry and no, eat the body. You don't. No, no let's... don't eat the body. <laughs> no, just, just... So welcome, get Welcome, get to our home. What adjectives do you think people, when they see you for the first time walking down the street, what do you imagine they're, oh. they're thinking of? Quirky, eccentric, weirdo. I'm a weirdo, yeah, I'm a weirdo. People looking at me crazy, I don't, I don't care, care though. I'm a weirdo, w- w- weirdo. Because I, I dress in pink, right now I've got feathers in my hat, jewellery over my hat. Um, I've got bright pink shoes and nice. pineapples on my socks. No, today I haven't got the pineapples, but whatever. Yeah, do got donuts, I think. Are they donuts? Donuts or? on my sock, yeah, something like that. I love colourful socks, I love colour, I love colour pink. Yep. But I've been going into a red phase recently, with right. a t- touch of purple in the hat, as you can see. People on the radio can't see it, though. Ha, ha, you're missing huh. out. Well, I'm feeling um, downright boring in my brown jacket And, and then once, once, yeah, don't worry about it, mate, don't, <laughs> don't worry, you're just fine as, as you are. <laughs> Everybody to their own. Um, and, and once people get to know me, um, they realise I'm, I'm a comedian, I'm, I'm a funny guy, I'm sociable, I, I engage with people's lives. Um, and when they get to know me a bit more, they realise I'm, I'm a bit of a creative genius. I'm doing all of this stuff, writing plays and books and movies I've written too. None Ooh. of them have been produced yet. Just uh, sitting on the shelf, going dust. Tell, let's go straight there. What, what, yeah. Tell us about your creations. So tell us, just pull one out of the out of fat air, and mm-hmm. um, ex- explain maybe something that is that is close to your heart that you've created. Okay, well, I could I could pull a lot of books out of my briefcase here, but the one I can't pull out of my briefcase is called Edgetown. Right. Uh, I released it digitally last year. Okay. And it has an interesting backstory, speaking of movies, because I had a dream one night. About 12 of my books have been directly inspired by dreams. I woke up, I managed to write 11 words on a piece of paper before the dream faded out of my brain, as they do. I can't even remember what the words were, but it was just enough to get me started. It was this image of somebody working on this distant planet that was full of volcanoes. In fact, the planet was literally alive. Everyone's mm. living on top of this living rock animal. Okay. And his job was to scrape the bodies off these giant grasshopper insects because, like, their shells were going rotten and he had to sort of pop the bits off. That was his job. And somewhere in there was a, a woman who looked like a geisha, and a piano, and that was it. You know, it's just little bullet points, and I got. I thought, how right. am I going to stitch all of these diverse elements together? And I did. I finished this book. Basically, the next day, I thought, I'm going to convert this into a screenplay format. I sat down. I worked for two hours on my computer. And my young son sat down at my computer five minutes later, closed the file without saving it. And so I had to start again, which is good. Yes. You've got to see that it's good because what I'd written was still in my brain. I could sit down and write it again even better. And since that day, I've written that screenplay through about eight or nine times, and every time I can fix things. So the first version of the screenplay 
I had to cut some corners and tighten up the story and produce a better ending. So I took those and I rewrote the book. And as I rewrote the book, I realized I had some new ideas that I could put into the movie. So I sat down and rewrote the movie. And as I rewrote the movie, I introduced this wonderful new character called um, Harriet. And um, she's a girl slave, but she's digital. And, and uh, hey, I won't go into it too much there. But is that name? Therefore, I had to put Harriet. I I like the name Harriet. Okay. I just put the, I put Harriets in all my books. Right. <laughs> and, and so Harriet had to go into the book then, and it made the book better. And then the movie got better, and then the book got better. I've done this cycle about eleven times now. I finally thought I messed around with enough. I'll get it published. I published it digitally last year, and it's called Edgetown. And then just this year, I began to think of the idea of turning it into a stage play. Mm. Because I think it'll make a brilliant stage play. I haven't written the stage play format yet, but I have converted a movie into a stage play once before. And so it's it's an exciting process. I'm looking forward to sitting down with one or two other people who have done theatre, who know theatre, they know the limits of putting something on the stage, but also putting something on the stage gives you permission to just jump reality completely. <laughs> are, you, are you feeling like a lot of locations? And how are you picturing this on, on stage? Is there a lot of switching around? Is it a big prop play? There's going to be some big props, and yeah. really big props. Like, we need to build one of the vehicles, and they're called strider spiders because the landscape these people live on is constantly having earthquakes and shifting around. The thing's alive. Yeah. So you can't just put some foundations down and build a house. It'll be torn to pieces within six months, right. even quicker than that. So all the buildings and all the vehicles have to be on legs. Computer-controlled, they're lively. They're responding to everything that the soil's doing to them. And um, travelling across the landscape on these vehicles is absolutely critical to the whole arc of the story. So how to do that on stage? I, mm. My mind, which is... I studied architecture initially. Right, really? And okay. um, later on I got involved in boat building and all of these other things, fixing and converting old vehicles. Everything was a mashup, really. You all take the while, were you, was art your hobby during those stages? Or art? Did you ever... Oh. Or when I say art, I'm talking about your literature, I'm talking about your writing and your... No, no, no. When I was interested in architecture, that was my singular focus. I'm autistic, right. and, and okay. I got locked onto architecture about 12 or 13 years of my life okay. until I finally sort of unlocked myself and allowed myself to explore other things. Hmm. And um, what excited me about architecture was that it was a a three-dimensional visualisation. It did involve art, but it was not drawing pretty pictures of flowers or women or, you know, landscapes. It was really pragmatic, and I'm mm. deep down inside of a very pragmatic, mechanistic kind of mind. That's why I right. write science fiction, I think. Okay. So rolling back earlier than that, before I locked onto the idea of architecture at the age of about 10, I was quite literally a, a prodigy in, in graphic art. Three and four and five years old, I could draw better than every other adult I'd ever met. And people just gobsmacked, you know. And, right. But I only draw trucks, mechanical machinery, right. okay. trains, trains. Yeah. And I didn't just draw them from the front or the sides. I always did a three-dimensional view. I understood perspective without anyone ever teaching it to me. And it was gobsmacking stuff. I wish I had one of those drawings. They're all lost. And um, I didn't do anything with it. It just sort of faded away and died, really. Regrets, I have a few. Regrets, I had a few. I went off and studied architecture and learned a hell of a lot. I loved the drawing, the design, the imagining of the buildings. Well, why do you consider that downhill? Did you, were, you, did you, were you able to make a career out of it? Were you making an income? I never got to be an architect. I left university after three years. Right, right. Three years of university. Of a, how long is a degree? Is it a four-year degree? It's a five-year five degree, degree in those okay. days. So no degree. Uh, but I ended up doing some architecting later on. I, I drew up a couple of buildings that got built, uh, one in Christchurch and one down the road towards Timaru in South Canterbury. That was a what they call a straw bale construction, quite a small shed, but a unique design. And then he right. went ahead, he used all my details and apparently built a house right alongside this uh, little workshop. So, okay, I've never was seen it? it. Oh, really? I've never seen this building. When did you leave New Zealand? 
1999. 99, yeah. okay. So yeah, what that, made you leave New Zealand? Uh, I'm not sure. It was just a wild card decision. My wife's parents live here in um, Logan. They had been inviting us, repeatedly asking us, to, right. why don't you move over here, we'll take care of you. And finally, things weren't working out. We were living in a lovely little town called Tamuka, but unfortunately, it's one of those places where, A, you have to turn your watch back 30 years when you arrive, <laughs> and okay. B, you are always going to be an outsider. If right. you weren't born and bred in that town or in that district... Well, you, where was it again? So you were not going to be completely accepted. Tamuka. Tamuka. It's Maria, short, do you know Tamuka? It's no, she's lived around that area, but... The, the original Māori is Te Umukaha, which mm-hmm. means the fierce ovens. Right. And uh, it had nothing to do with pottery. Yeah, right. In case anyone's interested. <laughs> Can't have anything to do with the temperature and the weather, surely. <laughs> the fierce there. ovens. Um, I guess they had a, a damn good hangi down right, there. Right, right, okay. The, the local <laughs> firewood was and damn this, good, you know, yeah, so right. they named the whole district oh, after wow. this one event. Right. That's a guess. Okay, so you hit the shores of Australia. And then what do you, what do, you do? So you've, you've left um, architecture. You said, what did you say? You did boat building after that. I did some boat building and uh, became a hippie, lived on the land, did organic gardening. Nice. Did a lot of hitchhiking up and down the country. I was a restless soul. I I couldn't settle. I regret repeatedly sort of just packing up and, and moving on to another city multiple times. And what I left were communities. That was the thing that I failed to realise, that I was getting accepted into a community that was working for me. I right. had a network, and I always left it. Is that because of the autism, do you think? I think it's part, largely part of the right. autism, yeah, yeah. OK. Mm. Right. Thanks for asking. So, so you jump on a, on a boat? No, I'm, you're not that old. You jumped on a, on a plane? <laughs> Came over to Australia. We got on a plane. Well, you, what you've missed out there is my career as a, a very famous and successful New Zealand children's writer. Damn. 1994, I flew to um, to Wellington with my wife and little baby, and we attended an event where I was a finalist in the New Zealand Children's Book of the Year awards. I was regarded in the top five writers of New Zealand in my category, which was okay. Uh, okay. junior fiction. Nice. And uh, I guess I came second. Right. <laughs> and this happened again in 2001, where one of my books, it qualified to be in the awards, and I was once again shortlisted, a finalist in the same category. Unfortunately, I didn't get to Wellington that time because I was dirt poor and living in Australia. And I, I guess I came second in that one too. Okay. Mm. <laughs> What, tell us about the books. books. Junior oh, fiction, so... Junior fiction, yes. Uh, the first one was a science fiction book called Triggerstone. Yeah, that was the Triggerstone. An interesting concept. Why? Why? Oh. What was the concept? The concept was that historically in a little township, which is based on a real-life place called Akaroa, this British nutbag scientist fringe crackpot guy comes out there and he has got this belief, this vision that he can create this enormous stone, almost like a great big obelisk Mm -hmm. and he's going to fit this steam powered whistle underneath it and the whistle is set to a perfect vibration that matches that of the stone which will then cause the stone to vibrate and hover and then become a source of infinite power to run his little village that he and he brought all of these people that believed in him. He set the stuff up, kicked it going, but it, it exploded or something. The whole building was sort of destroyed from the inside out and the stone vanished, he vanished, the whistle vanished, or was it still buried under the ground? We don't know, but all of his followers sort of gave up. They, they just packed their bags and, and went back to Britain because the whole experiment failed. Run forward 120-odd years, and there's this girl called Ginny, and she starts having strange sort of psychic experiences. She's experiencing earthquakes that no-one else is experiencing, mm. freaking the hell, shouting in the middle of class, earthquake, diving under her desk. She is approached suddenly and unexpectedly one day by this elderly woman called Ruby, a local Maori woman, and this local Maori woman says, it's all right, kid, I know what's going on. Take this pendant, mm. a green stone, which is um, Punamu in 
Māori and um, wear it and I'll come back and tell you what you have to do. And the strange old woman disappears. So trigger stone, you shouldn't, shouldn't say any more because I, that's, <laughs> there'll be spoilers. So yeah. go and, um, go and if you're listening, go and track it down. Trigger stone by Ged Mayberry. May, sorry. Maybury. Bury. <laughs> I keep going to say Maybury. That's fine. Um, the trigger stone, it's still out there. Trigger you can stone. get, you can yeah, get yeah. copies, try some you know, like eBay or right, if right. you're in New Zealand, try um, Trade Me. Trade Me? Okay. Trade Me. Or right, right. Try your local school library. There's still a lot of copies. Is it around. digital yet? Oh no, no, there's never it been digital. Right. So this is part of my life where I did 15 children's books, and they're all paper. They're all mm. traditionally printed yep. uh, through real publishers. But have you thought of digitising it? No, 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 I haven't. I um, haven't gone back to do that yet. Mm. I can do because I, I've retrained the wife. So that was my career then. It was right. gangbusters. You know, people nice. were inviting me all over the country to talk at various events, and I was wow. getting paid to go to schools. And it was a wonderful career, and I, one of my regrets about moving here was because I expected I could sustain it, but yep. it kind of collapsed. I wasn't an Australian. I wasn't mm. born here. I was an outsider. <laughs> I could not get published. I've been published like twice. Right. Three times here. I used to be getting published once or twice or three times per decade in uh, New Zealand. No, even more than that. And okay. here it's like 20 years. Out of those three publications, two of the publishers have just collapsed and vanished and only one's still going. I, I have one adult science fiction series. It's a series of six books mm -hmm. and it's called Across the Stonewind Sky. That's the series name. Fly across the stolen sky Fly again to me and It's also the name of the first book. It is now available on the internet. It's digitised. Nice. 800,000 words, a huge series, exciting adventure in a steampunk world that is a somewhat Remarkably like Earth in many ways, except that the landforms are floating in the sky and people travel backwards and forwards in airships. And, uh, yeah, and uh, we have this sort of quasi-British chap who sets off on the adventure of a lifetime and he runs into this sort of, like, I don't know, she's um, a secret agent. Right, right. A sort of super spy, Wonder Woman kind of character who's got her own missions and agendas, and they just have a whole string of exciting, dangerous adventures. Mm. He never gets laid. <laughs> is, it, is he a hero? Is a well, type he's, of protagonist, or is he? He's, he's a hero, and once the shit is fan, if I may say that here, um, he will act, you know, he will grab a sword or a spear right. or a sharpened stick and he will charge into the fray, you know, and try and put things to right, you know. But right. normally, of course, he, he, he's An fairly, opportunistic hero. He's got his own sort of life to live and he doesn't right. really want to be a hero and he, he sort of... Oh, you know, oh, it was nothing, chaps, you know. I yeah, saved yeah. the day, I saved the prince, and I destroyed the, the workshop and the, and the evil villains, but, you know, don't mention it, you know. Right. Hey, hey, can we have a cup no of tea fuss. now? I'm absolutely yeah, yeah, right. famished. <laughs> <laughs> He's that kind of character. Oh, so right on. That's my steampunk series. So I, I haven't stopped writing. I just have been not getting published. Is it set? In 19th century, or absolutely, old chap. It's set in Victorian, in a Victorian world, shall we say? Because okay. it's not just Britain. There's, there's a wide ranging. There's a lot of fictitious places as well as familiar places mm. like Germany and France and, and Britain. Okay. And um, there's, there's also um, an alternative kind of science running where there are different forces. The the, the laws of physics are, are very very different because of um, these, what do you call them, metamaterials, meta really. There's okay. this whole planet is riddled with metamaterials. No spoilers, I won't tell you how those metamaterials got there. <laughs> but suddenly we can have ray guns that um, open a wormhole to the heart of the sun. And as long as you don't open the wormhole too long, your ray gun will stay intact and you'll be able to zap things. Okay. Toast them, fry them, barbecue them. Brilliant. Barbecue them. Barbecue them, yeah. <laughs> Close ranges, there's a lot of moisture in the particular body. They do tend to explode messily. Yeah. There's, a, there's a terrible body count in some of my books, but yep. um, they're all villains, of course. 
Well, who's it's, your most exciting villain that you've written about? Like, who's your who's your favourite villain? Oh, that would have to be Mr. Hench. Hench. Mr. Hench. First name, Manfred. Manfred okay. Hench. As in Henchman. As in Henchman, yep. And um, he, he's a lot like, in some ways visually, he's kind of based on a, sort of a Darth Vader kind of quality. You know, you never see him. He's always wearing this mask and right. stuff. And uh, he's very sinister and has this nasty way with drugs and you know, killing people and stuff. And uh, scary, scary guy. No spoilers. No, no, no spoilers. Is he is he introduced in the first book though? Or no, he comes into the second book. Right. Okay. If you've read book one, people go straight to book two and start right. reading because okay. you will meet Manfred Hench. Manfred Hench. Does he become an arch nemesis, or is that a spoiler? He, he does become an yeah. arch nemesis of my hero Rodney Hoverham. Mm-hmm. Mm. And the, the the story arc there runs for quite a few books after that. So these these characters, are they composites of, of anything or are they based on one person or are they just... Well, I suppose in some ways they're all tropes dreams. of one sort or another. Right. You know, okay. if, you, if you go to TV tropes, you can find all of my characters already described. Um, right. It's very hard to escape tropifizing your, your characters. Um, yeah, well. Yeah, that's true. But but personal, is there anyone? Oh, people in my life, some of these characters. The the main female character whose name is... Uh, is this a love interest for ooh, Rodney? Oh, there's, there's some powerful chemistry goes on between right, those right. two, yes. Book after book of, you know, longing glances and... Uncomfortable silences. And, and, okay. you know, right, right. And no spoilers about how that works out. Well, there won't they? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Damn, how could I forget the name of my mother? Ah, it'll, it'll, it'll come to you. It'll come to you. Yes, it will. But um, so what have but you? Are they based on people? Her sense of humour is based on my wife's sense of humour. I'm quite right. sure. Yes. Okay. I realised that one day. Describe so. that. Oh, it's quite sort of. Sharp, you know, it's quick and sharp and um, okay. sometimes a bit barbed. Uh, <laughs> okay. Sometimes a bit satir- satirical. Um, there's, there's a book, book four, where they're, they head off on this adventure in his little airship and they get caught up in a storm and they, they lose the engine and um, various other dramatic things. So they're just getting blown in the wind. It's the middle of the night. They know they're just flying across this landscape they've never been over before. It's sort of like a jungle down there. Hmm. And then suddenly, relatively low speed, they're blown into the top of a tree. Okay. And um, everything settles, and, and he says to her, so where are we? And she names the place that they're in. And he's sort of asked, so how did you know that? Well, I used to live here. Right here, yes, right in this very tree. <laughs> <laughs> And, of course, he's absolutely flummoxed. He's like, what? Oh, she's joking. <laughs> but he's got his own sense of humour. He's more the dad joke type. Right. Which is rather more my style. Is that your style? <laughs> yes. Did, did you... Oh, you said you realised it after the fact. So you'd already been... You'd already written her sort of personality into this character and her humour personality. Yes. And yes. you realised it after the fact. Wait a minute. So sort of unwittingly... I... Never consciously base right. characters or scenes or situations on on anyone in particular. On, I don't plan any of what I write. You might right. find this hard to believe, but I have no plans for my books. I start them in a particular place and I throw some characters into a situation and I just let the characters start to interact however they will. Mm-hmm. And it sort of just goes from here. They take the story for me. I, I have, in some of my books, one in particular... Star Troopers, the final episode. And I'm writing away there and I get about three quarters of the way through the book. I've got these characters, everything's going, they've flown off in this spaceship to try and resolve this enormous intergalactic warfare that's going on out there. They have a few clues. Things aren't going, things are not working out well. They're stumped. And so, all right, we'll give up for tonight. We'll head back to the spaceship and we'll see what we can find out tomorrow. And they walk out into the dusk and this elderly gentleman just walks up the street and greets them. I'm writing this book. I, I don't know how I'm going to finish it. And, and I'm going, why is this old guy here? I didn't plan this. I don't want an old guy to walk into the story right now. But I trusted him. And I thought, no, just write another page. And so okay. I, I did. I kept it going. 
And I sort of queried what this old guy was about. Let him speak, you know, and he started to speak. He knew they were in town. He knew what they were needing, and he had the answers. And their ears prick up, and I went, OK, I know what the answers is. Let's ask the old guy what the answers are. And so this dude, Hortho Flassi was his name. This old guy had everything my story needed. He took charge. He took them away to this planet. They didn't need a permit. He knew the back way in. And it was just incredible how the whole story resolved as if I had planned that guy, but I never did. So, got, so this is Star Troopers, the final episode, but it is a standalone book, right? It's, it's not part it's of a series. It's a standalone book. It's, it's, yeah. it's the first one I wrote. Um, but it, oh, it's the, this is the first one you wrote, the final episode, uh, Star Troopers. The first one I wrote of that series. Oh, the series, and then and it became the, a series. the second uh, one in the series. Right, right, okay. But this sounds very meta. Um, Spencer Socket is an avid fan of the Star Trooper series of science fiction stories and is excited about meeting the author in person. Little does he suspect that along with his friend Rebecca, he will soon be drawn into the real-life conflict between the star, star Troopers and the Blitzoids. Right. Yes. So quite... Well, OK. Very meta. Right, right. It starts off with two ordinary kids. Yes, He's yes, obsessed yes. with the Star Troopers, which is this television program that plays right. every afternoon. And it's like, you know, oh, just one of those corny science fiction right. animated, animated series. I get a kind of like a Tron or a, or a Last Starfighter sort of yeah, feel there's a, there's drawn a, into... A, yeah, yeah, there's a touch of that to it. Yeah. yeah. He's drawn into the situation. His... Hmm. his Buddy Rebecca is the other writer for the school newspaper and she doesn't give a damn about science fiction and right. this stupid thing. That's, it's just a kid's show, you know. Yep. And uh, interestingly, she's drawn into this situation too. And uh, no spoilers, but they do meet up with the elderly gentleman who was the writer of the series. He's not based on me. He's short. He's chubby. He wears slippers all around the house all the time. And he's going bald. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to assure you all I don't look anything like that. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering. Well, you did say you, you, your humour is in the is in Rodney's character, a little bit of his dad joke humour. Yes, is, yes, yes. Is he, is he it, a punny sort of guy? It's or? impossible. I, I think it's impossible to write characters without, without some, some little of your, bit of me creeping in, Yeah. whether it's me or um, some other... I got it. It's oh, there we go. There he is, Silicon I, Stew. I can hand the books to Nate here. He, he's looking at them. <laughs> Are you the artist too? Do you do no, the artwork? No, in those or? days they had professional artists doing right. my covers. I didn't have to worry about that. I had okay. a publisher. That is the most wonderful thing in the right. world because I could just focus on the writing. And then they could market it. There was Ashton Scholastic, as they were called at the time, and they had a wonderful thing called Book Club. Yes, every I remember month, Book Club. Every three yes. months, you remember Book yes, Club. Yep. Tell the listeners what Book Club is. Well, it was... Um and they still have it. Some of you may be aware of it already, but we go to school and and they'd send out this, uh, I guess, a pamphlet of sorts yes. with a, with a whole list of books that you could choose from, and you'd bring it home, and very your, your colorful, parents would uh, very colourful. It was very exciting, yeah. and everything from from books, and sometimes they had little other little uh, stationary things that you could purchase as well. And I remember a few things that I that, that I purchased from it. I think I I think I might have gotten. Um, an E.T., uh, a novelization of E.T. one year from the book club yeah. when I was a kid. I've sold um, heaps. Um, up until about the year 2000, I had probably right. sold upwards of 100,000 books. Right. It's extraordinary for a little guy in New Zealand. Yeah, okay. And the predominant market was actually Australia. I, Is that most right? Most of my sales were here in Australia. So when you gravitated over here, you probably had that I idea that... I expected that because that my through. books were so prominent here. Right, right. I would be, um, you know, people would be interested. Oh, I know that guy. Let's get him in to talk to the kids. Okay. And, well, there were difficulties on that front. I um, I tried, I tried, and I tried again. And yep. I got half a dozen gigs. Okay. Um, I think it's a world, though, where you have to produce your own glossy pamphlet. You have to put thousands of dollars into publicity, yeah, yeah, yeah. promotion. It's all about self-promo now. Keep pushing it and find all the magazines. But you can with, with, with social media and you know this this online age. And the problem is that the tail has gotten longer, so there's more and more people that are able to promote their things. So, mm. so it's a you know so there's more people to compete with, I guess. That's now there's exactly it's not it, yeah. where it wasn't where before you were getting shelf space, you know, and you were you were able to to get on the shelves because you had a publisher. Um, they had real solid books, and they look yeah, good, don't they? they? They look great. And so you still see... Have you ever self-published? Well, yeah, that's sort of the next phase. After right. 
after things fizzled away, uh, we moved here. We were fairly broke. We, we had two children that had autism, uh, physical disability issues. And, okay. Uh, how, how old are they? Mm-hmm. Uh, the youngest is going to be 22 this year, right. and the eldest is oh, 27 now. 27, boy, girl, boy, boy, girl, girl. Yeah, a bit of both. Bit of both. (laughs) (laughs) So um, what I was finding was I was writing more and more books. They were piling up on my computer. I was trying. I was sending them to publisher after publisher after publisher. I have a series of books. Let's see if I've got any here. And I haven't. I had a series of books that started with um, horse apples. Not science fiction. It was a, a rural comedy, a couple, okay. sort of a dumb and dumber kind of thing. Yeah. It was a Pākehā boy and a Māori boy. And they, are, these, are these children's books as they're well? They're all children's yeah. books, yeah. yeah. The first book, they um, they head out to the uh, local stud farm, the horse farm. They decided that they're going to steal some money out of the guy's his, his SUV. Okay. All right. <laughs> He's going to, you know, spin some bullshit and get yep. the chance to sort of grab, jump into this car and grab on their bikes and, and piss off. But what they said, you boys want a job. Hmm. Because they had come up with this idea, we're, we're uh, raising money for the school uh, league team. We need new uniforms because uh, we're, um, you know, remarketing and rebranding the league hmm. team. And All right, boys, I can give you a job uh, scooping up the uh, horse Apples. What, what do you mean, horse apples? This horse stuff. Apples. Horse apples. Okay. The book yeah. is called Horse yeah, Apples. Right, right. I wrote a book about horse okay. shit, man. Yeah, 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 it yeah. was a big hit. Yeah. It sold really well, so we did we did a, a sequel to it that was called Crab Apples, <laughs> and that was the other one. Whoa, that whoa, got, whoa. You might, I mentioned it before, finalists in the New Zealand Children's Book of the Year Awards 2001. Right. Oh, crab that was apples. One. Crab Apples. Okay, 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 but horse apples is horse crap. So what's yeah. crab apples? Well, well they're... It's little knobs that grow on seaweed. It's, okay. They sort of had to stretching things, but right, it wasn't right. about crab food. It was about seaweed. Oh, okay. This magical seaweed that right, you right. Know, it was worth a lot of money for some reason. I just contrived this whole story, and it worked really well. Yeah, okay. It's funny. It's funny. These two guys, um, Randy and Piho, are just idiots, you know. They'll do anything for a fast buck. And the twist is they end up working so hard. Right. And, you know, spinning crap all the way. Yeah, and trying yeah, to yeah. convince people. It's massively physical work just to end up. Mm. They never make any money in the end. It right. all blows up literally in their face. No, okay. That sounds like a spoiler. <laughs> That's a sorry. <laughs> but all the stories. Every story ends in something exploding, okay? So it's okay. not really a spoiler. Okay, so Think of the horse apples one. You can, you know... What could possibly go wrong? Do you what? Do you, are you getting to a point when you're writing like oh, I've had enough and it's going to exp- that's it? I'm no, no, no. Got a lot of fuse to this. I, it's like I have a pattern that I have to work to there because mm-hmm. the next one was called Pig Apples. Okay, and and that was actually about which okay. grew in the forest near, okay. nearby. And all right, all right, all right. Are very expensive, valuable things. Right, if you, if you can know where to dig them up. And who to sell them to? Okay, the okay. same scenario. So right. They get into more and more trouble. You know, the police are hunting them, and it's illegal. And da 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 da. And so you know, I had to work towards a situation where something explodes at the end. I got there. All That's right. a good one. Yep. And then um, oh, track that one so down. So I had for these sure. three books, and they went gangbusters. They were great. They were selling in Australia, so I thought. And so I wrote the fourth <laughs> one. I had an idea for the fourth one. It's called Dinosaur Apples. Okay. Because by now I'm living in Australia and I think I can... And I started finding out that way up in the back blocks of Queensland here, a lot of dinosaur fossils are getting found. Yes. And there's whole little towns that are basically... Yeah. Their whole tourist industry is based on dinosaurs. Dinosaur, yeah. So I sort of set something up like that and um, there's a situation where these boys come across... Which are worth a lot of money if you know who to sell them to illegally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Away it goes again. Right. And I wrote this and I sent it to Scholastic Australia and they just tossed it back at me. I don't even think they read it. I renamed the boys and I renamed the book as Rocks in the Head mm. and I sent it back to them. Tried to trick them, maybe get into different reader. Right. No, they just flicked it back to me. Not interested in this sort of stuff. These so, are the people that were selling all my books. Yeah, Every right. single book I produced, they would sell it here in Australia. But somehow, as soon as I moved to Australia, the rules changed. Something happened. Right. Go figure. So 
Then I got an agent and I asked the agent to send the book in. And I was constantly improving the book. It got blown back. So then I sent the book to my buddies in New Zealand and they said, we love it. In fact, I sent them two books. They wanted to publish both of them. Mm. But the thing is, New Zealand's a small market and so New Zealand Scholastic always has to go in with Australian Scholastic to make the market big enough, to make yep. it economic, to print the books and do mm. all the work on them. And Scholastic Australia completely stiffed it all the way. Right. Hmm. How and interesting. that was the end of my You, you never got to the bottom of it, there's no explanation. You'd think that you'd be owed that, that considering how many... No explanation. They published already my, of yours. My buddies in New Zealand were so frustrated. By, it killed my career in one shot because I couldn't publish through Scholastic anymore. Okay. It was an incredibly lucrative market hmm. and it kind of shut it down. So anyway, as I was saying, I had these books piling up and piling up in my... Um, okay, but that's your junior fiction. Were you publishing your adult was, fiction through... I was doing some other science fiction for kids. I was doing some real-to-life stories. I did a couple of real-to-life stories for, for sort of teenage, young teenage right, readers. Right, And uh, I did a, a, a... You almost call it hard science fiction, not because of the science or the technology in it, but because of the... What I was trying to do is replicate a scenario of the col- col- colonists arrive in Australia and there's this immediate clash of cultures. Okay. And the indigenous people who were already here and owned the land got, well, the pointy end of the bullet, basically. Mm. And I was setting up the same thing, but intergalactic. Right. You know, there's this bunch of people with a fairly strong religious kind of focus arrived on this planet can support human life and they discover these aliens there and it all starts going pear-shaped turns into a war situation and my main two characters um well we're we're a lot like uh, romeo and juliet in this scenario right okay nice. star-crossed lovers yeah they don't really realize there was such a strong love there and anyway they're different species so they couldn't do the thing and have babies but um they find some sort of common thing there. He's absolutely besotted with her, and everybody thinks he's a creep. Okay. <laughs> and she's enchanted by him because he's soft, he cares. He, you know, he comes to her rescue um, when no one else did. Um, she does something wrong. Her father, who's the leader of the religious cult, punishes her in an extremely nasty way and mm. um, she survives this but she's really really damaged and he comes to her rescue again alright and and they have to escape and find out what the real secrets are no spoilers no spoilers That's but it's it. really intense there's death there's, there's a really violent sudden death in the story and, and this this guy who's running this religious cult is extremely sociopathic and um, almost murderous human being. It, um, he's scary. He's probably my worst villain because he's a real villain. You know, he's right. totally Yeah, he's evil. Whereas all my other villains are comedy villains. Yeah, you know, right. They're cartoon villains. Okay. Yeah. So if you're listening, Git has quite a plump catalogue of, um, of work that's out there. And uh, we wanted to break through here in Australia um, and, and get those cogs turning uh, again for him. So let's... Let's check him out, especially if you're here local in, in Logan. If you're listening to this and you're local to Logan, know that you've got one of your own at the moment. He's become localised. Do you feel like you've you've become... Well, I'm definitely a Loganite, yes. Yes. Yeah. So nice. I fit in. I like it here. I'm getting to know all the people and it feels good, you know. Right. It feels like New Zealand away from home. It's, it's Yeah, we, we are sometimes considered the United Nations um, of mm. Australia, the, the city. It's, it's quite... Quite a variety of um, demographics here in here in Logan. Mm. Want to get to know? So we've talked about your work. Mm-hmm. Want to talk about some of the things that have actually uh, inspired you outside of your own head? Some of the works, perhaps, um, whether it's uh, film inspirations or book mm. inspirations or mm. or music inspirations, art, visual art. Yeah, what, right. what sucks you in and, and motivates you, inspires you? Ah. Oh. Science fiction always. There wasn't really any science fiction. There was, but it was sort of Plan Nine from Outer Space, or you talking about films and things. Excruciating nineteen sixties remakes of the nineteen forties right. remakes of the 
and uh, you know, what was it, the War of the Worlds, the American one? It was just right. <laughs> great special effects, but terrible acting. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I couldn't engage with it. And then along came Star Wars. You know, right. it's like, what is this? It just had this really different quality to it. And of course, I, I had to go to it. And I, I dragged along my buddy. We drove down there, and he says, "Hey, just a minute." Huh. He pulled out some marijuana. <laughs> so, well, wait, so you got high before you went and watched Star Wars the for the very first, first time. time. I saw Star Wars. <laughs> that would have been an off my scone. Yeah. The trouble is, we, we got neurotic. We, we got yeah, right. sort of um, paranoid, and we swallowed the evidence. <laughs> we stubbed out our joints down the down the hatch and um, they were pretty activated by then so I'm sitting in the cinema getting more and more off my face how was that experience what it was, was amazing man right. it was just like <laughs> this movie got better and better it, what I was seeing was this there was a scene where there's the walkie and the the princess and these guys in the robot sort of black um, the white suits the, the stormtroopers stormtroopers yeah. and you know I think I actually shouted it out loud. Oh, my God, it's the Wizard of Oz. That's what I was seeing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) They were referencing the Wizard of Oz. It was so gapingly obvious to me. They drew a lot of inspiration from a lot. I mean, it's very Western as well. And um, And the samurai stuff. Yeah, yeah, very, very Akira Kurosawa inspired, I think. Seeing deeply into what was going on in this movie. Mm. And it was um, suddenly science fiction became okay. Suddenly science fiction became... You know, deep and real, and um, it had this sort of really human quality to it. So I was fairly glued to see what came after that. Right. And, w- uh, were you ever a Star Trek fan? Oh, when Star Trek came in, in the sixties, I was absolutely glued to that too. That was, mm. you know, it was great. It still had a good heart. You yeah, know, yeah. It had a good an intention, and it was done thoroughly. You know, it was done very, to a very deep level. They really thought about the the cosmology that they were working in and, and they lifted it way out from Earth. In, in other ways, of course, they were all humans. All the writers were humans and so the story is still saying a lot about humanity. Well, a lot about the USA. Mm. OK. And, uh, but I was, I was only like a teenager. I was only about 13 years old, so I thought it was fabulous. Right. Tribbles. Who could forget Tribbles? We started talking about Edgetown right yes, at the start. Yes. So that's obviously space inspired. So and you're just talking about Star Wars and Star Trek and those sorts mm-hmm. of things. And yet, uh, but some of your writing, your steampunk writing, has been based. The location was Earth. Where do you prefer? Do you prefer getting out of this world and and being in a totally different environment? I've done a bit of everything, right? Mate. I've done a bit of everything. Um, it's really nice sometimes to set your science fiction in a sleepy little suburban setting where mm. everything is completely normal right. except for that car parked on the curb and then someone just goes up, inserts his fingers into the cracks around the window, mm. pops the whole lid off and it transforms into an entirely different thing. Right, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. It's like, what the? Uh, <laughs> and I yeah. could visualise this. I'm writing mm. it in there, you know. And one of the characters actually gasps and says, it's a transformidable. Because <laughs> I couldn't use transforms. That's in there. That's oh, okay. Right, yeah. right. Ah. Yeah, I mean, um, so, Peter Jackson's early days were all like sort of small town, big events in small town. Yes, I've never base, met him, the... unfortunately, sadly, but came close a few times, I suppose. My, my daughter was in one of the Peter Jackson movies called um, Fabulous Creature, Heavenly Creatures. Heavenly Creatures, yep. Yeah, well, she was in the film shoot and she was dressed up in this old-fashioned uniform and she was a schoolgirl where the right. main characters went to. And, of course, she rushed and told her all of her friends she was going to be in this movie and they all went to watch it and there was a scene and they cut her off the edge. Oh, no. <laughs> she got paid for it. This happened to me too. I've been in lots... I've, I've done extraing in um, yep. New Zealand TV industry multiple times. There was one scene where I was a policeman on a railway station, a real railway station. They had a real steam train came in. I was dressed up in this funny little policeman's uniform. Did you have the beard back then? No, I didn't. Okay. I was clean shaven, and we had to do this scene. It would have made more sense if I had been bearded, actually, because that's how the policeman would have looked. But we did this scene, and we had to push back this crowd because they were all angry towards this woman who had supposedly murdered these babies. New Zealanders would know the story. And... Um, so I told all my friends, and we all sat down to watch the episode, and I saw my left ear. Wow. 
<laughs> that's the thing about extra. Right, right. It's, it's a crapshoot, totally. Gibbs Air you, you had 15 minutes of not. fame. There we go. But is that, isn't that Andy Warhol? Did he say like every air should have 15 minutes of fame or something along those my, lines? My ear had about 1.5 seconds oh, right. of fame. All right. <laughs> I've done other things recently, just a couple of years ago, I was in a film shoot, and it's called II. It was done by a team that came out from uh, Ceylon, India, and... Um, Malaysia, and they shot it here in Brisbane. It was a horror movie, and I played this elderly gentleman. And I finally got my name in the International Movie Database. Oh, nice. Just my name and the name of the movie. That's it. I'm there. Bucket list. Tick. Beautiful. There we go. So all of those crappy film shoots around this obscure extras of... Well, obscure extras ear. I, I, I have a good scene. I have some really good scenes in this movie, and everybody who was on that shoot. Beautiful moment, I'll tell you about it. We filmed my last scene, and, you know, it's a film shoot. We do it five, ten, fifteen times, and they make a little suggestions, do this, change that, move that hand from there, put the money in that pocket, not in that pocket. Okay, that's a wrap. And I go back, and I get changed into my street clothes, and then somebody comes running up. Oh, good, he's still here. Come down, come down. So we trotted down under this bridge, underneath... The motorway towards going into Brisbane is where this little scene happened. They were getting ready to shoot the next scene. Come in, come in, Ged. So that's a wrap for Ged Maybury. Everybody applaud. That was so sincere. These people really were signalling. Oh, wow. The way they were making this noise to me. It wasn't just polite. They really saw my work Uh and really thought I was a good movie actor. How beautiful. Wow. So that's how... Really deeply. Mm. It was a really sort of deeply felt moment. You know, I was almost sort of in tears. Like, I really thought I was good. <laughs> that, did, that didn't motivate you? or Did well, it cause I, you to consider maybe I've got a career yeah, look, in this? You know, every time I do something, and every time I do something well, and I've done hundreds of interesting things in my life, new games and um, film shoots and, and stage plays and all this stuff, I come out of it really buzzed. I've got to do this again. I never do. Right. And it just somehow my life drags me What's that a symptom of? Uh, Just not setting my intentions enough or something. So I just got to chalk them up to one off experiences and um, keep on going and see what happens next. That's a hell of a have done list. It's it's an extraordinary have done list. Yeah. I'm not quite sure that nude life drawing modelling was really a big deal. (laughs) You've come there. But I have to mention it for the fans, you know, a bit of yeah, fan yeah, service. Yeah, 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 there we go. So Here, here's it goes. I go to this place, I go into a changing room, I take off all my clothes, I walk out and I stand in front of all of these artists and I stand very still for an hour and 14 minutes, which is absolute agony, and I try and think about everything I can think about except the fact that I'm stark <laughs> naked in front of all of these people who are drawing my dick. <sighs> and then they can say, relax, and everything hurts. It's the most difficult job you will ever do, people. Really I did wonder is. that, like, yeah, yeah, it must be because you're having to hold that pose. Like, I've got a lot of friends that are bodybuilders, and they say it's quite painful having to just strike a pose for a few seconds and, and, and tense every muscle, and I imagine, although you're not tensing every muscle, to, just to hold that pose for so long. The, the guys, it was two men in two different situations, I did it, but they really understood it. They'd probably mm. done it themselves, but they really right. took care of them, me, the model. And so this is going to be a long pose, so we're going to make quite sure that you're comfortable. Lie right back, is that good? Yeah, so we're going to hold this for an entire hour. Okay. So I was really well taken care of. Hmm. Actually, the one where I had to lie back, I was um, like uh, Adam and uh, the scene on the Michelangelo Michelangelo. I was almost exactly like that. I was just laid out with my hand out there (laughs) and everything. I'm absolutely butt naked, remember? And... For a male model, I think the greatest terror is that, you know, you kind of start thinking about... That would be the most dist- <laughs> devastatingly embarrassing <laughs> thing for any life model to ever yeah. experience. And so I'm lying there, and this woman comes in late. Sorry, I'm late. And she sits right in my sight line, squats down, her skirt's wide open, slaps Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I had to go 48 and a half minutes 
in this pose with her sitting right in my sight line. I looked at her. Thinking about me. what? You're thinking about I football look, or you're thinking about... Thinking about how I'm going to build a glass house when I get home. <laughs> Anything but what was actually available for me to see. So, Were you married at the time? I was, yeah, I was married at the time. Same wife? Have you been with the... Oh, look, um, I've, I don't want to talk too many. Multiple changes of relationships. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I can't remember. I think it was my earlier session. Right, right. Where I was with a different girlfriend, but so what's who's your, what's your wife's name? Anna. Anna, got it. <laughs> Anna, Anna's song. We got that. All right. So anyway, um, maybe you have to edit out the story. No, the, <laughs> fine. So getting, getting to know you even better. So the, um, the nude modelling, the life drawing modelling. I'm going to throw some quick questions at you. Just some go, like go, uh, go. Just, just some fun questions. If you were to um, your your life is so interesting that a bi- biopic has been created. A biopic has been created about your life. Oh, well, who's, who's playing you? Who would be the actor to do me in my biography? Oh, gosh. It'd have to be somebody with kind of a manic energy, manic, tragic, who, who can play the part mm. of someone who can be really, really spineless at times in relationships and stuff. But then as soon as he gets on a stage, he's just the golden boy, you know. I can't think. He's also got to be a skinny man, right? Um, <laughs> or someone willing to, I to tell go you through the process. director ought to be. Who, who's the director? Tiger Waititi. All right, he can direct yeah. any of my movies. I, I don't even. He doesn't even well, have to pay me. Well, he's like is a, a, a director of quirky films. I think he's probably ideal. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I can't think of actors. You know, I, I guess you've got to be familiar with them. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I can see. I can see someone like a maybe a Christian Bale growing out of bed. He can um, mm. just thinking of him from the fighter when he slimmed out. Yeah. Um, I haven't I always had the beard. Yeah. Most of my life, I've been clean shaven. Is that right? Although I did have a long mallet at one point. I was a hairy hippie. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now the beard suits it. It, it, it sets off your uh, artistic persona. I mm-hmm. think it helps. Mm-hmm. So, what is the uh, theme song that is playing while you're walking down the street in the opening scenes? <laughs> The scene, the theme song to my life. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, it'd be a Japanese song. It's called Downtown. Right. And it's by Maya Sakamoto. Okay. And um, it's really upbeat and sort of jazzy. I'll, I'll play a bit to you because it's my phone um, okay. ringtone. I'll play right, a bit right. to you in a minute or I could start yeah, yeah, the phone sure. and play it now or something. Oh, I'll actually um, find it and edit it in. Yep, yeah, that's a good idea. It's just sort of this jaunty song that um, it's, it's hard to dislike it, you know. And if I'm just walking down the street, you know, and I'm off on my adventure in life, uh, going downtown mm. to have some fun. Right. Eeky, eeky. So, eeky, eeky, let's have fun. Let's be lively. Do, do you just enjoy Japanese music? Do you speak Japanese? Are you part I of, have like, learned Japanese a little culture? bit of Japanese. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Have you been to Japan? Uh, sadly, no. I'd love to. That's your one of your... Bucket list goals? It's a big bucket list goal. Right. Yeah, yeah. Have you travelled outside of New Zealand and Australia? Um, I've been to Papua New Guinea. Right, okay. And I've been to Kansas City in the USA. Right. Just Kansas City? <laughs> right. Well, we, we, <laughs> we flew through LA and then got on the plane, went straight to Kansas City. We were there for 10 days. To Did see you have a, to stop at LA? Did you have to have a oh, layover there? Yeah, it was, it was a layover. Oh, that's the most awful airport. The reason we went there was that the guru, I was following this guru at the time, okay. and he was going to do a three-day event there. Right. And it was just the fad. Everybody sold everything. They sold their bicycles and their cars and their mothers and to raise some money to go and see the guru, wherever he was Where, on the planet. Around what time was this? This what? was 1981. Yeah. Okay. No, it was 1980, late 1980. Okay. We were there for Thanksgiving Day, around about there. And we stayed in a hotel called the Hyatt Regency in Kansas City. And some of you listeners will be going, oh, oh. 
Um, it's a hotel that six months later had a massive catastrophic really? collapse wow. of some overhead internal bridges and hundreds okay. of people died. As Kansas City went to sleep last night, it was shocked by the city's worst tragedy in its history. As it awakened this morning, it was shocked again. More than 100 people had died here. Everybody that went, oh, oh, I walked those bridges dozens and dozens and dozens of times and marvelled at the engineering and the beautiful space they created there hmm. with my little baby girl strapped to my tummy. Right. And my beautiful baby girl oh. was going to be 40 years old in a few weeks' time. Really? <laughs> yeah. Huh. So you've got... So you spoke about two children earlier, so you've got a, a third? Have you got a fourth? A, a daughter from my first marriage, yeah. Okay. What got me into theatre was um, I was in the middle of Dunedin, New Zealand, uh, a place called Octagon, very centre. Right. And I met this... Short, chubby, very loud-mouthed clown. And okay. um, she stomped up to me. At this stage, I was in my Salvador Dali um, page boy look. Right. And uh, Curly moustache and all? I, I knew that I could attract her attention by standing very still. And it mm. worked. She came belting up to me. And just, who are you? She said. And I said, I am a wizard. Well, <laughs> that was how it all started. Now, I didn't know it at the time, but she was a play school presenter. And we got married, so I married play school presenter. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's play school. This was back, so this was back in 1979, 1980. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Right on. And we, this baby came along, even though we made arrangements for babies not to come along. The baby still came along, and we were like, okay, you want to be here? Here you are. And we did the right thing. Right. Hmm. Did you look after that daughter for... Oh, I was sort of a solo dad at various stages, okay. and then we were separated for a few years here and there, and we right. maintained the contact, and it all just flowed along. Okay. And we're still in touch. She, Is interestingly she... enough, ended up being an actress. Right. Tap dance, jazz, did all that stuff. Okay. She was the one that I mentioned that was in the movie. Um, right, right, okay. Since then, she has been in multiple movies, multiple major uh, television series in New Zealand. Oh, right. And particularly of note, she has been in, um, what's it called? Shortland Street. Oh, right. Okay. She has been in Shortland Street, people, hey, three cool. different times as three different characters. Nice. And she's probably doing another one right now, who knows? Well, I'm, I'm trying to sort of charm the, the chaps over there into doing one of my movies. We'll see right. how it goes. Hint, hint, you're listening to this, guys. <laughs> I write New Zealand books, children. Which, one of, your, which one of your works do you want to turn into a movie if? Which one if would I have to be the one we're talking about a minute ago? It's called Edgetown. Edgetown, really? Yep, that's one for you. Okay, Taika. okay, okay. Take it, bro. Uh, yep, yep. <laughs> Thanks, bro. <laughs> you pick, pick this is one right up. up your alley. Well, we'll, we'll turn it into a... Uh, really a, eccentric a, stuff. It's, stage it's, show. It's off the edge science fiction. I really go in yeah. places that no one else has gone. I hope. I right, believe. right, right. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. Well, let's see if we can take it from book to stage show to movie. Is, <laughs> that, is that the order path. that it's going to go in? Or? Oh, it'll have to go in that order because you know, we're kind of committed to the stage show now. Yeah, right. We might. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, let's make it happen. So, so um, Tell the listeners, Nate. Yep. What, what are you looking for? Yeah, I'll, I'll back you up on this. So what, what, are, we, what are we looking for? Ged? Well, we're looking at doing a, converting my book into a stage play and putting it on in about a year's time, taking into account COVID, but also bringing together the artists... So we're looking at uh, scenery artists, um, people that can construct uh, movable sets for the theatre, um, makeup artists, costuming, and there are a number of props that need to be built, um, animated puppetry props, very large props that actual actors can get inside and look like they're, you know, walking across the landscape. And, you know, a few minor things. Um, so we are thick with artists and creators in this city, in Logan, and, and, and Ipswich, and this, this whole area. Just we're, we, are, we have a wealth, you know, mm. a disgusting wealth of artists and creators. Let's, let's be real, but many of us are hiding and we're wondering what we can do with it. And maybe we're doing the odd bit here and there in our garages, but yeah. uh, we could be bringing it all together and converging our talents yes. 
So let's see if we can we can yeah. do that. Um, bring these I talents would, together. I would I would love to see some character sketches, for example. Just all right. Just um, what they could look like on the stage. You, know, you can imagine the, how they do this for Star Wars. You know, they they do a lot of artwork and they they get the look of the characters, what they are wearing, what they're carrying in terms of props and you know weapons. So you want to stuff. delegate that to someone else? Get- I can't do that. I'm not yep. that sort of artist. I'm, mm. I'm a I'm a mashup artist. You I mean, mashup I artist. I take yeah, pre-existing yeah. images and I, I mash them artist. together. And, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, so if you're listening, um, that's what we're looking for, character sketches. What else? Character sketches. Um, I would love to see somebody have a go at some of the uh, face makeup that's, right. that's done. I'll, I'll, looking across the room right now, there is a tiger sitting <laughs> in the corner, okay. and one of the characters wears a permanent tiger yep. face. Okay. She's had some sort of high-tech, futuristic implants done, Ooh. and she looks scary. So, oh, I've got I've got a couple of friends that are that are in makeup. One's makeup a professional artists. makeup artist, so yeah. she would probably cost a lot. But uh, I've got some that are that are hobbyists that are absolutely amazing too. Mm-hmm. Livy, mm-hmm. if you're listening, niece, yep, I'm I'm thinking of you. Anyone else want to come to the party? You yeah. know, well, basically, if you can if you can think, well, this this sounds like such a uh, I don't know a heterogenic, eccentric, big, wide capacious, I don't know, like I'm just trying to think big and crazy and lots of things I, going on. I, I so, want to be inclusive. I want to bring in a lot of different so, art streams. Yeah, yeah, this. so we can bring a lot of art streams. There's a lot of music, uh, we need a pianist, um, and um, we need an original song, right, a theme right. song. Are going to use this. live music or just oh, recorded? It'll be all demo. live music if we can do it, yes, please. Right, okay, um, all right. The absolute key in the centre of this is a piano. Right. A dusty, dirty, crappy old piano, which magically and unusually is already in tune. Okay. And uh, it's just going to be sitting Do on the stage. Do you know any pianists, Maria? Mm, I know a few. <laughs> <laughs> we're looking at one, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So um, we're going to sort of bang out some songs on the piano. Someone who loves the music from about 1960... Okay, okay. Yeah, some Elvis songs and right, right. A, a wonderful song by a guy called Del Shannon called Runaway, which is kind yep. of the theme of the entire um, stage play. Na, 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 na. It's a, I've got the right song, haven't I? It, it's it, pretty much, yeah. yeah. Why? Well, why, 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 why? She, she ran, ran away. And I wonder where she I can't remember the words. My little, My little runaway. It, I yep. won't do any spoilers, but let people try and imagine how that can be the core theme of this book, which is out there already. You can grab it and read it. It's only cost you like $1.99, people. I just dropped the price a few days ago. All right. And uh, give it some love. Okay, and, go. Go and get it right now. And the stage After play, this podcast. we will have this... When I start thinking about what I've written, it's just the best damn thing I've ever done. Oh, seriously. Right. How exciting. So we've got an opportunity here to have an all in. This is, Ged is a, a, um, a multi-published author uh, who has, like I said before, has got a, quite a fat catalogue of, um, of works that have been published and have been sent out and, and many copies sold and read. Uh, we've got an opportunity to get behind one of our own get together as a community of artists um, and you know and, and if you're listening here thinking well I'm not really an artist I'm not really a creator um, that's that's bullcrap you are a creator everyone <laughs> is uh, everyone is a creator really and so let's bring it together and let's let's take mm-hmm. this as an opportunity mm-hmm. to bring our community together because you know there's lots of these pockets of uh, art communities in and around the city lots of pockets that that are that feel disparate but they, they shouldn't um, we, we need to converge, I think, and we can do that and create something really, really special that will be the talk of the nation. We sure damn could. Yeah, mm-hmm. so let, let's do that. So anything last minute you want to promote before we, we sign off, Ged? Oh, um, <laughs> believe in yourself. And uh, if you know what you're doing in life, if you really feel like you've got your compass, you've got your map, don't underrate the value of having your compass and your map because I have gone my entire life with neither compass nor map. I have drifted and I've let the wind blow my sails this way and that and sometimes I've landed on shores that I didn't really need to be on. 
Other times I landed on magical lands where everybody loved me and gave me these <laughs> opportunities, and, and I really, I really did awesome stuff. But finding your path, your calling is, it's not essential. I got to where I am and I did an amazing thing without any sense ever through my entire life of a calling. I wish that, you know, someone would just write it down on a piece of paper and pin it to my forehead or something. So if you haven't found a calling and you're just one of these drifters and you're creative and you do something here and then you switch to something else, that's okay too. Yes. Just keep going on that path. Good things will happen. Hope. Keep creating. That's that's a great way to finish. So I want to thank Ged for being with us today. Please, please check him out. Um, it'll be easy enough to find G-E-D-M-A-Y-B-U-R-Y. I'm the only Ged Mabry on the planet. Only Ged Mabry. You, you're going to find a lot of Nate Hammonds, I've, I've realized, when I've Google searched myself, mm-hmm. unfortunately, thinking I was more unique than I really am. But... Um, but the Ed is a, is a one of a kind and we look forward to, as a community, getting behind him and helping his latest project come to fruition. It will take a community of artists and creators, musicians, writers, um, sketch artists, makeup artists, prop designers. We can do it. This is going to be an exciting movement. Let's call it that. It, it is a movement. So think ahead, um, consider what you want to add to the project and let's do it. Thank you for being with us, uh, Ged, today. And uh, you've been listening to Tonic Pop. My name is Nate Hammond. We'll catch you next time. Thank you so much. Nate.